Grace is yours and mercy and peace from God our Father through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Title of today's sermon is Never Weary in Well-Doing. And it's based not only on the epistle lesson for today, but also the gospel. Is there anything more satisfying than settling into your own bed every item of the day and evening attended to? Everything you had hoped to do accomplished. Nothing on the agenda. I know it doesn't happen often, but you've had evenings like this where everything that the day was supposed to have was taken care of. And now you can rest. And if you have a little one in the house, it won't last. You fall asleep perchance to dream, as Shakespeare puts it. You worked hard much of the day. And now you can slide into welcome, necessary, deep sleep. The rest that knits up the raveled sleeve of care. And as you approach what might be the midpoint of a beautiful dream that you're never going to remember, the baby cries. The dream is over. And even if you don't go get that baby right away, you know this. It's not going to happen that you fall asleep before that baby does. So you get up and you tend to the child. Duty calls. And duty doesn't seem to care too much about how you feel about it. Now, most of us don't have babies at home. Some of us remember a time when we did. But we all have chores. We all have dishes and they don't all fit into the dishwasher. We all have bills and laundry. One of my former students, who's now almost 50 years old, how do you think that makes me feel? But anyway, she said, you know, if I could only convince my family to walk around naked and starving, I'd be caught up. But we all have meals to prepare and laundry to do and other tasks that never seem to be done once and for all. It seems no sooner do we get them done than it's time to do them again. I'm always going to remember when I was first married. My wife was first married too. We married each other. And she had just finished with the dishes and she made the supper and then stood there despairing, looking at the fact that now there were more dishes to do. And then there are those problems for which we haven't really found the solution. Projects that grow in complexity with each new report. Lessons that were not learned and battles that never seem to end. Same old, same old can sure wear you down. Well, in our epistle reading for the day, we overheard Paul telling the Thessalonians to avoid those who walk in idleness 
and to imitate those who labor and who do some kind of work. And for Paul, this is personal. But this is also the second time that he's written to them. The first time he had to write to the Thessalonians, he had to tell them, yes, I told you that Jesus is coming again, but remember I told you that we don't know when. And so for you to say, I'm just going to wait for the Lord to come, is not doing the Lord's work. It might seem holy to you, but it's not doing the Lord's work. Because the Lord has given you things that you are to be addressing. As as Bill mentioned just a little bit earlier, Jesus has taken care of all of the ultimate questions in your life. Who am I? Does my life have any meaning? Is there a bigger picture? Is there a life after death? How can I get right with God? Jesus has answered every one of those questions, and you don't have to have doubts about them. So if he's done everything for you, what are the penultimate things that we're to do? What are the next to last things in importance? Loving God with all your heart, soul, and mind? Christ has taken care of that. Loving your neighbor as yourself. That's the penultimate thing. Caring for yourself and for your neighbor. Living in such a way that not only do you have your needs taken care of, if at all possible, but also making sure, as Paul says in a different place, that you have enough that you can share with others. This is why we turned off the pulpit mic, by the way. I am incapable of staying in one place. For Paul, this is a serious enough question for him to declare, if any does not want to work, maybe they don't want to eat. He considered the sin of willful idleness so personally dangerous and damaging to the community that he says that it should lead to expelling that person from the community. When he says if they don't work, they shouldn't eat, he's not saying let them starve to death. What he's saying is they'll go elsewhere. Now, he doesn't say if anyone can't work, don't feed them. Their usefulness is done. That's not what he's saying. He's talking about those who could work and choose not to. He's saying that we should expel the unrepentant sinner from fellowship. And the point of expelling the unrepentant sinner is always that they would repent and come back to the fellowship. He tells us all to keep our bodies and our minds busy because he has no patience for busybodies. After all, an idle mind is the devil's workshop and idle hands are the devil's playthings. And we should all be willing to do the work that God puts in front of us. The jobs that he gives us to do not only to support ourselves, but for the care of others. For there will always be those who cannot work, 
who need a little help. It's far better for everyone if we do our work quietly and just set about caring for ourselves and others and thus for the family of God. Obviously, Paul thinks quite highly of work, and he should, because work is what you were made for. It's what I was made for. We were created for this world by a hard-working God who is in it for the long game. That's something you're going to hear from me again if the call committee tarries for a while and I get to approach you. God's in it for the long game. Another one of my favorite phrases is, our troubles are only temporary. When we're first introduced to God, what do we find him doing? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The first time that we hear about God, he is working hard at things that only he could accomplish. He's not sitting around saying, maybe somebody else will create the world. He sets about creating the heavens and the earths and the earth. Busy creating the entire universe in just six days. He speaks and with the word of his mouth he creates light and water and dry ground and vegetation and sun and moon and stars and living creatures and then people. And after he's worked for six days straight, he rests. He he blesses the seventh day and makes it holy. And he places Adam and Eve in the garden, a paradise. My daughter and son-in-law are on vacation right now. We're watching the grandkids. Well, right now my wife is. I'm otherwise employed. But my wife is busy watching the grandkids right now. My daughter and son-in-law are in San Juan, Puerto Rico. They work hard all the time. Both of them have two different jobs. My daughter's job takes her, her primary job, takes her to three different cities. And then they have kids who are in two different schools. And the kids have after-school activities. And so when she said, when my daughter said, Dad, we need to get away, I thought, yeah, you do. You need a time of rest. She works hard. Her husband works hard. It's time for them to get away. God allows us and in fact commands us that we be able to take times of refreshing. But he places Adam and Eve in a paradise and when we think of paradise, we might think of, okay, getting away to Puerto Rico or or Florida or, well, Florida, not so much this last week. Uh, hurricanes and all. Uh, some Hawaii, how's that? But you know, when God places Adam and Eve in the garden, he places them there to work. He places them there and the first thing that he says besides be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth is he says that they are to care for the garden. To work it and keep it. We sometimes think our workaday existence is only the result of living in a sin-filled world. 
But God gave work to our kind even before the fall. When every work was included as being very good. But Adam and Eve, tempted by Satan, doubted God's plan and they fell into sin. And he sent them from the garden. But even though he did that, he didn't strip his creatures of the tasks that he has given them. They were still to be fruitful and multiply and fill the world and work the land. Now it's true their work would be complicated, difficult, sometimes dangerous. By the sweat of their brows they would eat their bread until they returned to the dust. For dust we are, to dust we shall return. But work can bring its own rewards and its own satisfaction. For work itself is good. It is a gift from God. It is our vocation. Something he created for all of us to do. For some of our work, we get paid. For most of our work, we get the satisfaction of knowing that we did what we were called to do. We were the faithful friend. We were the loving family member who sought to restore harmony. We were the one who cared when others needed care. We were those who were there. Thank God that he's given us something to do. He gave us all of these different commands and then he gave us the opportunity to do the work. Jesus says that when people see your good works, they will notice and they will give glory to your Father in heaven. And what a blessing it is that he's given us opportunities to do those great works imperfectly, sinfully, that's us, but to do those great works so that people will glorify God's name in all the earth, as we sang just a little while before. Father, glorify your name. And one of the ways that he glorifies it is through his redeemed people. 